Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the best marketing channels for your e-commerce business, especially direct-to-consumer businesses for 2022 as we move into the new year. You know, there are certainly lots of legacy advertising platforms, marketing channels that you can take advantage of, but there are also channels that have really been proving themselves and that uh, I think for a lot of merchants, uh, they'd find themselves remiss to miss out on. And so for today, we've got a couple of great guests from an agency, uh, Levitate Foundry. We've got Ned and Miles here with us today. Um, gentlemen, would you do the honors of introducing yourselves? Yeah, be glad to. Uh, my name is Miles Bodie. I'm the Director of Operations for Levitate Foundry. I'm working in digital marketing for uh, several years, uh, specifically in e-commerce. I think this is still a wonderful time to be in e-commerce, certainly as we're moving into 2022. Yes, and my name is Ned Gallup. I am the Director of Paid Media here at Levitate Foundry. Um, I have been working in agencies my entire career, uh, solely focused on search and social right now, but dabbling in a number of other things. Uh, essentially, I, the famous anecdote I always tell is if you can buy media in it, I've, I've probably handled it, um, but mostly focused on Facebook and Google for now. Well, I, I think we're going to have to ask you all about all that, that dark web advertising that, that we've been missing out on. So <laughs> see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, I always love to ask companies how they got their name. I, I don't know a lot of agencies that have branded themselves as foundries. I, I think that's a lot of fun. Is there a good story behind the name? You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, originally, we just wanted to be called Levitate, you know, like levitating brands, you know, bring things to a new level. That was already taken. So we thought a little bit deeper about what it is that we actually do. What is it we intrinsically do? Um, we natively build digital brands. What does a foundry do? It manufactures, it elevates, and it builds certain things. Um, you know, we really want to scale and grow user bases for companies. We want to be really focused on levitating revenues um, and really focusing on in all of the building processes for digital brands specifically. We're Shopify Plus Agency, FMP. You know, we really want to be sitting at the epicenter of e-commerce. And that's where we like to focus ourselves right now. That makes as much sense as any other story that I've, <laughs> I've heard for the name. And that is certainly one of the biggest challenges that we always run into. It's, you know, that uh, a lot of names are taken. And so I find that that innovation right there, it's the same innovation that you have to bring to the brands themselves as you're getting them uh, you know, really started and, and up and running, going through all those branding exercises. Uh, now, you know, to our main topic of the day, you know, that e-commerce grew up side by side with traditional digital marketing like search engine optimization, Google ads and, and other pay-per-click marketing, email marketing. In today's market, you know, what are some of those trending platforms and, and campaigns and opportunities uh, that you two are, are running into? Is there anything that strikes you, anything that really um, comes top of mind as having a lot of strength at the moment? Yeah, I think in the era of iOS 14, just everything has changed in terms of the way that we approach strategy and then obviously report and execute on the different platforms. 
One of the biggest things that we found success with, especially over the last few months, is really looking at everything from an omni-channel approach. Instead of putting each and every um, different media channel in a silo saying, you know, what does Facebook do well? What does Google do well? What does TikTok do well? And then just leveraging those strengths within each platform. For example, a lot of the clients that we work with are just breaking into the TikTok mold. They haven't been running these ads for a long period of time. And what we try to tell them is, you know, let's just focus our energy on the prospecting top of funnel on TikTok, really drive a lot of, you know, low cost traffic to the site and then let Facebook do what it's really good at, which is retargeting and leveraging pixel data. And I think really looking at it from a very 30,000 foot type of view and saying, what do these different channels do well together versus what they do well individually, I think has been really successful for us. And quite frankly, um, it's it's really kind of been forced onto us from the iOS 14 update, but we've kind of embraced it with these different platforms like a Google Analytics, a Shopify, for example, and really just try to see everything from a you know holistic view rather than kind of segmenting each one and then reporting individually. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to latch on to TikTok there for a couple of minutes because I, I don't think we're somewhere on 90 episodes into the podcast. And I don't think TikTok has come up very much. And obviously it is a behemoth in terms of the amount of uh, of time that consumers are spending with their eyeballs glued to it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's certainly got some addictive qualities that a lot of people have, have been experiencing firsthand. Have you found uh, so? You mentioned things that, you know, to me really, really, you know, dive into brand awareness, into building um, that top of funnel campaign where you're going to get make people aware of a product or of a store online. And so that certainly makes a lot of sense. But have you found that that the targeting is up to par with some of these other platforms? Can you really get cost effectively in front of the right audience and not just a more generalized audience? How is the platform actually shaping up in comparison to more of the uh, the incumbents? It's been really interesting because when you start a TikTok campaign, it actually starts very similarly to what you would do on Facebook, where the first step is placing the pixels and getting the actual data to start flowing through the campaign. So not only we can make informed decisions, but the algorithm can as well. TikTok functions very similarly in that way, where we need a certain number of pixel fires in order to be really successful. So... Like I mentioned, a lot of the brands that we're launching on there right now are completely new to the platform from an ads perspective. A lot of them have been active on the organic side. But the first thing we want to do is place the pixel. And we really need to hit a certain threshold in terms of pixel fires to really maximize our efforts below the top of funnel and really, you know, the retargeting, the retention, all of that good stuff. And what we found is that really focusing on that prospecting brand awareness top of funnel traffic has been really effective for the main reason that CPMs are just drastically lower on TikTok than what we find on Facebook. The targeting is actually pretty similar and quite frankly even the the you know campaign setup it's broken out into campaign ad set and ad which is obviously resembles very closely what we do on Facebook. So it is a really interesting and unique experience kind of transitioning from one to the other. But I think the biggest kind of benefit to us right now is saying, while we're waiting for this period of time where we're just collecting data and just kind of holding tight while the pixel does its thing, let's take advantage and reap the benefits of some of these super low CPMs. And when I say super low, we might see for the exact same client, a dollar CPM on TikTok versus close to 20 or 30 on Facebook. So it is a significant delta that we're seeing. And I think 
we're kind of just approaching it from the aspect of, you know, set the bar low for ourselves, really maximize the platform as much as we can, but kind of be realistic about what our expectations are. And then once we get to that certain threshold, that's when we can start to really elevate everything. But in the meantime, reap the benefits of the not cheaper traffic, but just more effective and, um, you know, getting more bang for your buck. And I think that's been really effective for a lot of our clients because, Quite frankly, it's it's very familiar on the organic side, but it's it's very new to a lot of our clients on the paid side. And what we really try to do is kind of ease them into it, you know, let them know we're not going to get overnight results and really see this as a long-term platform. And the clients that have adopted that kind of thinking and mentality have been really pleasantly surprised with what we've been able to do. Because like I mentioned, it's it's very similar in terms of setup to Facebook. It's just kind of maximizing that strength that we don't normally see uh, within, you know, the Facebook Instagram platform. That's interesting because I've seen similar things where the, you know, the costs are so, so much better in platforms like Quora and Reddit. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you get away from the Googles and the Facebooks of the day that you can really, you know, get more bang for your buck. But um, the targeting and the types of ads are sometimes different. You know, that when you're trying to speak to someone who's scrolling through Reddit or someone that's, you know, trying to get answers to questions on Quora, the way that you're going to speak to them and with them is potentially a little bit different. So there's that nuance to it. But if you can find that right vein of traffic to <laughs> tap into, you know, it's, it can be really, really effective. Um, outside of, of TikTok, I, I, I want to shoot a couple other platforms at you. You know, a, a few years ago, we were talking a, about Snapchat as the new kid on the block. And really seeing, you know, a, a lot of potential there, especially for, you know, for particular user bases, for, for particular demographics and such. Is that mm -hmm. still performing? It is to a certain extent. You know, the unfortunate part about if we're comparing TikTok versus Snapchat, we do typically see higher costs on Snapchat and a little bit less flexibility than what we have to work with within the TikTok platform. The, I think the biggest weakness for us, because a lot of our brands are targeting an older demographic, and by older, I, I generally mean around 30 plus, which I don't want to offend anyone who's listening to the podcast, but that's generally what we consider. We'll be sharing your home address. Don't worry. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm sure everyone is aware of this. You know, older people really started to adopt TikTok uh, throughout the pandemic. I mean, it, it really started with teenagers and people in their early 20s, but exploded into, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s throughout the pandemic. We haven't been able to see that same kind of explosion on the Snapchat side. And it really has been effective for some of those younger audiences, but breaking into the older ones has been a, quite a challenge for us. And the other thing about, you know, differing Snapchat versus TikTok is, one of the great things and kind of on this at the same time, a little bit more restrictive is TikTok really judges the ad content based off of what's trending, what's popular, what's kind of being promoted in the space as of today. Snapchat doesn't follow those same rules. So we're kind of forced into coming up with creatives that are more topical, more relevant, uh, more catchy, so to speak, on TikTok, whereas Snapchat, what we're typically doing is leveraging a lot of our story placements that we have on other platforms and then repurposing those. Um, so it, it's kind of a little bit of MacGyvering it on the Snapchat side. And we have found success with some brands. But I think it, in terms of overall opportunity, we do find that there is more to dig into on the TikTok side generally than what we see on Snapchat. While both great platforms, they do have their own individual strengths and weaknesses that we found. Interesting. And, you know, thinking back to, 
I don't know if, if they're old guard yet, um, but Instagram and Pinterest, when I think of as opposed to video, uh, mainly dealing with, uh, you know, with photos and, uh, and graphics and such, l- looking at just the pure visual, are, are they still performing as well? Is it, you know, and I, of course, Instagram and Facebook, uh, you know, are, are highly uh, interwoven. Are we looking at basically the same challenge of just, you know, a question of it being pricier at this point? And so it, you know, better to leverage for certain types of campaigns for remarketing um, for specific things, but maybe not uh, the first choice for top of funnel at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's definitely the little brother of the scenario. I mean, the, the great thing about Facebook and Instagram is that anyone can go in and create an, a nice looking creative, put some ad copy together, set up their targeting and they're off to the races. You know, it's, it's pretty user friendly across the board, no matter what your price point is or what you're selling. When I look at these other platforms like a Pinterest or even a Snapchat, honestly, I think kind of fits into this category is you really have to focus on the communities that you're reaching out to. They're very perceptive to outsiders. You know, ads are more welcome, I think, on more e-commerce type of platforms like a Facebook or an Instagram. When you're in Pinterest, you want to join communities. You want to interact with people that have similar interests or similar tastes than you do. So if we're promoting an ad to people that are searching for, let's say, engagement rings, for example, and then we're you know selling them you know, camouflaged uh, hunting gear, they're going to know right away that this is not meant for me. This is an outsider and I'm probably not going to click on it. You have a lot more flexibility on the Facebook platform to kind of get around that and really reach out to unique users. But when you're in the Pinterest platform, you have to connect and really relate to these different communities, talk their language, use imagery that they're used to seeing. It really has to almost be integrated to their regular social experience to have an impact. So it's, it's very boomer bust, I would say, where if you are able to overcome those challenges and really connect with the certain communities that you want to reach out to, highly effective because you're reaching you know, the cream of the crop type of users. But at the same time, it's not as easy, not as simple, not as honestly fast as you could pop, probably do on a Facebook or an Instagram. So it, it is a little brother kind of situation in that respect, but you can definitely find your own niche and make the most of it. It's just how far are you willing to go how much time and effort are you willing to put in to really make sure you're reaching out to them? Because obviously on Facebook, it's a little bit, the bar is a little bit lower there on the Pinterest or, or Snapchat, for example. You really want to go out of your way to make sure that this is resonating with the audience that we're reaching out to. Yeah. And if you want to think about the extreme, I mentioned Reddit earlier. <laughs> you know, exactly. People there have a lot of opinions that they're not afraid to share. A lot of them are on there anonymously. Um, and especially mm-hmm. you can allow comments on ads there. And that can be pretty dangerous, especially if you're not monitoring it and responding. Uh, they, you know, comments can pile on. So I, I think that, that, that absolutely makes sense. Know your audience. Um, understand the ecosystem that, that you're trying to communicate with and through. Um, now, you know, I, we've talked about Facebook and typically I often think of Facebook and Twitter side by side in terms of uh, maturity and, and where they sit in the market. I've found that in some cases, the, the Twitter, honestly, that I, I think that some of the targeting is a little bit better. Um, some of the, uh, the, the pricing is a little bit better than Facebook or I don't know. We haven't called it meta yet in this episode, but <laughs> I think that they want us to. <laughs> Give it time. Won't. I, I think nobody will just because they want it. I think that's how this is playing out. But mm-hmm. um, do you have any thoughts on where Twitter is, is falling in in the campaigns that you're seeing? 
Yeah, Twitter is another tough one. And I it has similar challenges to a Pinterest or a Snapchat, but I look at it in a different way. Um, it's almost like a LinkedIn, for example, where people are not going there to buy things, but you can catch really interesting people at the right time and really you know, show them the proper product. It's really that push versus pull mentality where I see a Facebook or an Instagram as I log on and I'm expecting to see an ad that is, is shoppable or, or you know, has something that I would want to purchase. I think on Twitter, when you log in and you're seeing advertisements, it almost gets in the way because of how much of a community kind of aspect the platform has made it out to be. When they're introducing these you know, Twitter spaces and these other audio platforms, they're almost moving in the opposite direction of e-commerce in a way, which I think is really interesting because Facebook is doing something similar, but not to this you know, same extent that we're seeing on Twitter. So I, I think some of the challenges there are just people are just not in that mode or mindset to really be buying right away. But you're absolutely right, Robert. The the ability to target people and the ability to really um, you know strategize effectively the way that you would on a Facebook or an Instagram campaign has increased significantly since. I mean, I, I was doing Twitter ads back in 2015, and it was very bare bones um, in terms of what we could do, what we could optimize, things like that. It is getting better to a certain extent, but I, th- I think honestly, what it comes down to is just, again, the strengths and weaknesses. Is, it, is this going to be a platform where we're going to secure that hook and get someone to buy right away? Or is this an awareness play where we get them to click an ad, don't necessarily need them to convert right away, and then we can use other retargeting methods on other platforms to really seal the deal? Um, so I, I almost look at it as kind of like a brand awareness play that we can get really effective at with the different groups, the different interests and things like that. But at the end of the day, what we really need is, um, just the ability to really fill our retargeting funnel with highly qualified users. And I think Twitter does that to a certain extent. Um, it just depends on what your product is and how effective you are at really, um, ingraining it with the different audiences that you're reaching out to. It's interesting. And, you know, you mentioned LinkedIn and I like LinkedIn, in terms of its feature sets, and I think even for a direct-to-consumer, even for you know a very much retail product and not B2B, where LinkedIn is really a business platform, I think that there can be some opportunities. But I, my experience with it is that it's usually just too cost prohibitive, that the cost of eyeballs on LinkedIn is, <laughs> compared to, I think, anything else that we've mentioned, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's still at the upper echelon cost-wise. It absolutely is. And it's really interesting because like these other platforms that we've been talking about, like a Snapchat or a TikTok, they pull their ads manager UX UI directly from Facebook. Like I mentioned, it has a campaign level, an ad set level, and an ad level. LinkedIn has that as well, but it's much more um, outdated in my opinion in terms of what we can optimize. Last time I was running a campaign, um, we had to create a new, basically a new ad set for every new creative. And that's a really, really clunky way to do media buying. And I think really slows down the process. So I totally agree. I think the opportunity is there. It's obviously an excellent platform to reach other business professionals, um, things that you just can't reach out to on a more social type of platform. I just wish they would do a little bit better job of their ads manager and really making it so I could optimize it a bit better. It really kind of feels like the starting point of whatever you launch is kind of what you're stuck with for the remainder unless you want to make significant changes across the board. And um, on Facebook, you can make minute changes, you can make large changes. I mean, it, you really have a whole menu at your disposal to pull from. With LinkedIn, it's it slows down the process. It's not as user-friendly. And I think just in general, once you're you know fully up and running, 
you really have to be almost the same way you would on Pinterest. You really have to be mindful about the communities that you're reaching out to. If this is a technology company, you need to be speaking the technology language and making sure that you are blending in and people that you're going to be reaching out to say, okay, that ad, those people know what they're talking about. So again, I think the bar is just a little bit higher there. And then on top of the challenges that the uh, LinkedIn ads manager presents with us, I think that just makes it all the more challenging. So again, outside of um, Facebook and Instagram, I really do see it as a boom or bust type of platform. Yeah. And it's, I I would agree when it comes to LinkedIn, you know, when I think of Facebook advertising, I I still think that to an extent, maybe I I prefer Google, but but, you know, when I look at Google ads, I feel like you could be a day trader with it and you can really continually tweak and optimize to the nth degree. When you look at LinkedIn, it's more like a traditional media buy. You're going to buy, you're going to put this much into this ad for this amount of time, set it and forget it. Come check the results in, you know, whenever that, uh, you know, that that ad, whenever that campaign runs up and see if you want to run it again or what you want to do with it. It's uh, there's definitely a difference there. I was hoping that, you know, with the Microsoft acquisition and uh, and other things that have happened in the LinkedIn world, that um, that there'd be more movement with it by now. But I, I feel like um, while there may be iteration and, and improvement, it hasn't necessarily done what you and I are describing wanting. I don't think that they've met the advertisers uh, where, exactly where they want to be met. Um, Yeah. And it's funny because you look at a platform like LinkedIn, and I think everyone has the same idea. It's a great resource for business to business professionals communicating and interacting with each other. So everyone is flooding the ads marketplace with the exact same thing, you know, trying to reach the decision makers, the C-suite, trying to reach these same people. And it's almost become oversaturated in a way where every ad that you see is trying to sell you something. Every ad that you see is some service that someone is, you know, hawking or or trying to present to you that might help your business or cut costs or things like that. And I almost feel like people are becoming a bit numb to it at this point, just because there is no real differentiation between the offers that are being presented. It's all B2B, it's all at a high level, and it's all being geared towards decision makers. And I think adding in some not flexibility, but maybe some variety in there, I think would really freshen things up. Because whenever I go onto LinkedIn and I see an ad, they all start to blend together. You know, it's it's very text heavy. It's usually not geared towards me. And if I click right away, there's a very, very long lead up process for me clicking the ad to actually ending up completing the action that they want me to complete. So there's a whole slew of, I think, challenges that do face LinkedIn, which is why I call it a boomer bus platform, because there is still opportunity on it, but I think you know, in looking at it, you really have to kind of see it as almost like an Everest type challenge. Where if I can conquer this, then I'll you know I'll be set for life. But if uh, you know I might stumble a hundred times climbing up the mountain, I think that's kind of the deal that you have to make with yourself um, engaging on a platform like that. Yeah, it, you know, there are there's always give and take, right? You know, and and that as these you know we always want it to be you know fast, cheap you know, good, all those things that, you know, you can usually pick two out of three. And of course, the more users, a lot of these things, whether they're they're live auction or whether they're just built on that principle of supply and demand, as they become more popular, as you get better results, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The price is going to go up. The demand has gone up. Uh, you know, and when it comes to something like, like LinkedIn, I'd agree, you know, in some ways, it reminds me of being out at, let's say, an e-commerce trade show. And so you're going around um, and, you know, I don't know, two years ago at Retail X, I, I want to say that there were about 1,200 booths and you go from 
you know, from the reward points folks to the live chat folks to the one, the next, the next, and everyone is going to tell you we can increase your conversion rates. Everyone's going to tell you, you know, we can increase your bottom line. Everyone, and it's it's kind of this recurring thing that if you can't break the mold um, at some point, if everybody's got the same value proposition, if everyone's uh, has the same talk track, it just does become noise. It does lead to analysis paralysis for the user. It does make them a bit numb. Um, so I think with any advertising, you know, no, do, do you need to be the thing that's, are, are you going to figure out the thing that's exactly, you know, the equivalent to something that's going to go viral? Are you going to mm-hmm. hit on that really amazing? Well, no, not every single time, but I, you definitely have to be striving um, to get people uh, to pay attention and no different than, look, you know, you put up a billboard, right? none of this is new, right? You know, that mm-hmm. um, people didn't drive past the billboard hoping to see a billboard and hoping to take an action that you really did have to captivate them. (laughs) None of that's um, particularly going to change about the process, but I think B2B, you're right, that it's, uh, there's an amount of that saturation of the same thing. And uh, look, I, I learned years ago, never use myself as a barometer when it comes to marketing and such because you know i i know a little bit too much about how the sausage is made mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know there are ad placements and things that i don't even look at um that i've never clicked anything in that space and probably never will um and you know just completely ignore it i think in a lot of cases it's better to boost posts in some of these platforms where at least people are scrolling past it they will take notice of it if the image or video is captivating they will notice that I love using native video in these sorts of platforms, um, things that that are more likely to at least get people uh, to engage for a few seconds. Um, yeah. So there, it, there's it's a lot of strategy that versus, has to go into it. Oh, yeah. I was I was just going to say it's almost a David versus Goliath type story because a, a lot of the brands that we work with, they're not, you know, small mom and pop shops, but they have a limited marketing spend to provide us. And there are certain expectations in terms of the results that we can get back on that. You know, if you have, you know, a $30,000 marketing budget for the entire year, your margin of error is going to be super, super thin. So you can't really afford to make those kinds of stumbles, you know, be outbid, that kind of thing. If you're one of the massive B2B companies and you're working with $100 million a year, um, it's a completely different story. You can afford to make those kinds of mistakes. You can afford to have inefficiencies, and it's a lot more flexible for you. And I think that's probably one of the weaker parts of, of um, why LinkedIn is just such a struggle for most people. You know, if you're outside of the 1%, it's really, really boom or bust. If, if you have a gigantic marketing spend and it's just kind of, you know, a number on a sheet and that's all that really matters, then yeah, you can find a ton of success on LinkedIn, trying a bunch of different things, giving it a ton of time and really kind of bouncing around a, diff- a lot of different strategies. But when we're talking about, you know, the upstarts, the people that are trying to get to the next level, scale up, things like that, really, really challenging. And Robert, you put it best. It's like a lot of the ads that you see, you're just going to skim right over. You can afford to do that when you have a massive marketing budget to use. On some of the smaller ones, I think it's it really is unfortunate where you can only really give it about a month or two before you have to turn back to a Facebook or something like that. Well, and like everything else in life, you know, we all try not to count other people's money, but even for someone that's more midsize, you know, that when 
you know, there are behemoths that can afford to sponsor the Olympics. And then there's the rest of us that, uh, that mm-hmm. need to spend dollars wisely to invest into, into advertising, into marketing, that's going to have some kind of ROI, that's going to have a return on ad spend that's advantageous. Uh, no one's out there in the business of advertising to lose money um, or, you know, to, you know, just for the sake of spending money, uh, you know, th- there, there's enough billionaires going to space and doing other things as is. I, you know, <laughs> I don't think any of us are, um, are, are in the advertising space for charity reasons. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that in mind, we've touched on a lot of the traditional advertising platforms per se uh, for digital ads. What about other channels? I know in a podcast that we recently taped, um, we looked at some other channels like podcasts, streaming services, other places where you can potentially get in front of an audience um, where maybe they are not likely to fast forward past you or they may not have the option. And you can build more of that brand awareness um, versus trying to get them to pay any attention when they're more likely to scroll past or... um, or something, something along those lines. Have you seen any success or interest in running through um, some of those uh, those other types of platforms out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ever since the iOS 14 changes took place, I mean, that was you know step one was what else can we do to diversify our marketing efforts? It's no longer let's just pump all of our money into Facebook and just see what happens. Now we have to actually go out and find other channels that might be effective for us and really spread out our ad dollars. Um, One of the biggest things that we've seen with a lot of the more larger brands that we're working with right now is the programmatic space. I think that's kind of the um, underserved um, area that a lot of people are tapping into to really maximize their efforts. Because when you're reaching out on a podcast or a LinkedIn or a Snapchat, you're only reaching a very limited audience that's interacting within that platform. Programmatic offers advertising on banners across the entire, you know, World Wide Web. So it gives you the the broadness that you need to really expand your audiences at CPMs that I think are pretty efficient and, and pretty fair. Um, I've worked in programmatic for about a year, and um, it was really effective for a lot of brands because very, you know, what what I had referenced earlier in the uh, in the call was that you know, use the strengths and weaknesses. And I think one of the strengths of programmatic is, like I mentioned, the just the breadth of which you can reach different people, optimize and really, um, you know, scale your brand awareness. That takes so much burden off of these other channels to do things like retargeting and retention. And I think that's the name of the game for finding these additional channels is Facebook and Instagram still really effective at retargeting. I mean, obviously, iOS 14 has taken a bite out of that. It's really the prospecting side of things that we've seen the biggest downfall um, because we don't have data with lookalikes like we used to. Interest-based audiences are needing to become more and more broad. And if the CPMs aren't going to lower significantly with all these other changes, then it does make a lot of sense to hop onto a programmatic type platform where we're putting our ads on banners on CNN, Fox News, uh, BuzzFeed, you know, channels that people are visiting pretty frequently. Pick your placement Um, and the pricing on a lot of those things that, you know, it used to be that the cost of setting up a campaign like that was just too burdensome for the merchant. But as the technology and as these networks have gotten better, um, I I think that that's absolutely logical to start to, you know, cut out the middleman uh, who needs it. So, you know, going and directly, you know, coming up with, with those kind of buys. 
um, starts to to make some sense going through the right um, technology providers and such. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there other channels that you're seeing that we haven't touched on today that you think are, are really strong? Um, anything interesting, even if it's niche that, that either of you has run into lately? The I biggest thing for me. covered a lot me, of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, we did take, we, did, we took all the big ones, the fun ones. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I'm really keeping my eye on moving forward, and we haven't touched into this yet, but I'm, I'm definitely have it on my radar, is uh, gambling and, and that whole area. Um, all of these different gambling apps, platforms are popping up as it becomes more and more legalized across the country. It's exploding in popularity with the additions of, you know, being more integrated with the NFL and to a certain extent, the NBA, um, all of these different sports books that you can access right on your app. I mean, they're begging for sponsors and begging for advertisers. It's just so new and just so tightly regulated right now that it really hasn't been broken into the same way that you would like a LinkedIn or a Facebook. And I'm, Super curious to see what we can play around with with um, sports gambling and sports betting because there's definitely an appetite for it. And if we're looking for new platforms, I think that's the underdog that's going to come out of nowhere. And we're going to look back and say, you know, why didn't we do this sooner? I definitely see that with um, some of the gambling related stuff that's definitely starting to take off. I'd hypothesize that those are uh, consumers that aren't afraid to pull out their their credit or debit card and spend some money on you know on something above and beyond you know whether that's luxury or what have you or entertainment or um so you're dealing with people that uh, in one way or another are identifying themselves as having some expendable income or, or making income available uh for you know for things outside of the bare necessities so that's that's an interesting cohort to work with. I'd be very interested to see data on something like that advertising through um, those those types of mediums. And I think especially, uh, you know, that there are going to be categories of products, you know, that the personas are going to align um, in terms of the demographics and uh, and other things that we know about who might be interested in certain um, products or, or uh, brands. That's that's really interesting. Um, you know. I do want to ask, you know, one of the things that I, I thought when I did my homework on, on Levitate Foundry, I noticed that you work with some really interesting, innovative brands. And, you know, and I'm sure that, that for both of you that, that you have some favorites. Miles, does anything stand out for you? Is there anything that you look at as like, you know, th- this is something that <laughs> a few years ago, no one would have even thought of. And, um, you know, and, and this brand is, is just doing a great job of getting their message out there. You know, I think there's been a lot of changes in um, food and beverage industry. I think we work with a lot of really up and coming people in the food and beverage industry. Certainly, as people are becoming more um, curious about uh, non-alcoholic adult beverages, you know, and people being semi more sober curious, we do work with um, uh, several brands that either are um, just non-alcoholic or are, you know, like CBD adjacent type products that are trying to also position themselves as alternative ways for people to be able to relax and to be true to themselves and to be able to be in a social situation and be able to enjoy something a little bit special and unique. Um, The brands that we're currently working with, you know, um, we do sign a lot of NDAs, so I'm not necessarily... Oh, that's okay. But just in what you've just described, what I love there is that you know, I immediately heard a story about educating consumers about, you know, about new categories of products, about, 
uh, you know, something solving a problem that they may not have realized that they had, <laughs> yeah. but that people would prefer some option and they would be happy if there was something new in the category for them to to select that uh, it's not that unusual. I mean, and we see a lot of that, you know, in, in myriad ways when it comes to people being willing to spend a little bit more for something that's organic or holistic or or this or that, but um, you know, until they know that it exists, <laughs> nobody's looking, uh, and there are certainly not a lot of people. So that that makes perfect sense. Um, I think you said it, you, you keyed up on something uh, the story, and I think that's one thing that uh, we as marketers get to do is be storytellers in a lot of ways, in a very concise kind of way, um, getting people enticed, getting people interested, getting people onto site or onto a landing page, and then for them to be able to understand the story and relate to it. Um, as best as possible. That's the thing. That's what we really strive to do. Yeah. And, you know, I did want to ask, um, I, I know that there are a lot of brands that really do focus on advertising themselves uh, and really focus on figuring out all those types of networks that we've talked about, about building the brand awareness and building the following and getting people in the funnel and retargeting and remarketing and, and, you know, and continuing to build that relationship and ultimately um, drive conversion rates and, and revenue and what have you. But there are and have been for, you know, for many, 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 many years, uh, brands that really focus on going through affiliates and in more recent years, influencers uh, to drive a lot of that. Do you find that, that some of these brands are really finding their stride by relying on the marketing prowess of, of third parties, of others? Um, I, by using, you know, those sorts of channels as opposed to going direct and buying ads and trying to convince people all on their own um, that, uh, that, you know, that, that these consumers should be paying attention to them. Yeah, uh, whitelisting and influencer content has been supremely important um, just because, and I, I am beating a dead drum at this point, but iOS 14, I mean, creative assets are more important now than they've ever been. And I call it the don't take it, don't take my word for it approach where, you know, we can toot our own horn all day long, but when it's someone else speaking to the brand, I think that's really powerful um, for a lot of different uh, products and services that we market. I think the biggest um, misconception about influencer marketing and what we have run into quite frequently, especially early on, is that you can just pull any influencer off the street, have them do a 30 second blurb about why this product is so great. And then you're off to the races, you're good to go. And then people are going to be buying it, you know, in, in mass. Uh, not the case, unfortunately. I think, um, you know, when you look at like a Kardashian, for example, they have a very diverse following and a very diverse audience. It's people of all ages, backgrounds, genders, all kinds of different things. But for the average everyday influencer or the micro influencer, for example, it's a very, very specific audience. They come there to see fashion insights. They come there to see them do movie reviews or something like that. So you really have to be mindful about the influencers that you partner with because everyone, it's, it's the gold rush right now. Everyone's rushing to get an influencer to speak on their brand, do a 30 second promo and things like that. But Finding the right one, very similar to how we view a Reddit or a Pinterest. You know, you have to engage with the right community. Yeah. And I think that's just become ultra important as just the flood of um, influencer content has kind of hit paid media. Yeah, well, I, there are times when you might be willing to sit through uh, a, a timeshare sales pitch, <laughs> you know, or, you know, something along those lines. But yeah, that, you know, when you've come for other content specifically, 
uh, and that's not what you signed up for. Not really. You know, if you tune into NPR and they have a pledge drive, okay, you, you get it. Uh, you might leave it on for a bit, uh, but you know, there are other times it just fish out of water. It's just, it's completely out of place. Um, so that makes sense. Well, gentlemen, um, before we wrap up for the day, you've been generous with your time. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? Any, um, anything in, in your crystal ball <laughs> that, uh, that you think is coming down the pike that users should be aware of as we go into 2022, anything that, uh, that you think that, uh, we've left out for today that, that you think would be highly impactful? I think for me, um, what I'm really keeping an eye on and what I think is going to have a big impact on um, paid media, not in recent months, but I think eventually is the NFTs and just the whole craze behind uh, buying, trading and selling um, different pieces of art or different memorabilia or collectibles and things like that. I don't know how yet, but I definitely see that marriage being a great one between running paid ads and then, you know, the buying, selling and trading of NFTs. Just because if you're on Twitter right now, you have at least 10 friends, I think, that are talking about it. And it's just bound to reach the advertising space at some point, just because that's where you're going to find the most creative, the most forward thinking people around that have a, you know, a platform to promote, obviously, via brands. Um, so I'm really looking out for the NFTs what that does when it starts to bleed into paid advertising and just how we can incorporate that into our uh, promotional packages, because it's obviously very grabby, very popular, and people are um, extremely excited about it. But I'm very curious to see how that does um, on an advertising perspective, because I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. It's just so early on that we're just kind of getting our, our hands around it right now. Awesome. And Miles, anything that you, you think that we should add before we, uh, we let you go for the day? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, we've been talking a lot about um, a lot of top of funnel activity. Uh, I think it's really important, certainly as you're acquiring new users and you're trying to get brand awareness and have your brand stand out in the space um, to follow a lot of what Ned's been talking about as well, but also um, leveraging all the other parts of the marketing mix as well. I say SMS and instant messaging, you know, like advertising as follow-ups for mid-funnel and also for just customer lifetime value and lengthening that are still going to play really important key parts of it. Email has been around for a long time. SMS, I think, has past couple of years has really been up and coming. I'm excited to see it progress into other platforms as well. And certain um, in-platform experience for in-platform shopping, I think are also going to be coming up in uh, e-commerce, being able to buy directly in a text message or being by, able to buy directly in an email. Um, I think people are still going to be responding quite well to that. So I would encourage people to continue to look at the other parts of the, uh, the funnel as well. Awesome. And well, you know, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Um, for our listeners and viewers, as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll have more great content like this for you soon. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.